there, there's two words that may be kind of unfamiliar to some outside of theological circles, but it, one is indicative, and then one is imperative. And you Also, probably if you've studied languages, you know those. Uh, but sometimes theologians will use those two words to describe how commands fit into the Christian life. That the, the indicative is the statement that indicates what God has done for us on the cross. And the imperative is the command, what we are to do. And, and in, in Christianity, unlike every other religion, the, the, the imperative, what we are to do, flows out of the indicative of what God has done for us. And that's exactly the, the pattern that we've seen in the book of Galatians, where we've, uh, for week after week, he was just outlining the fullness of what Jesus has done for us, that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But now, and as we looked at last week, um, he is now looking at commands of, of how are we to live in light of what Christ has done for us. So again, this is Galatians chapter 6. And I'll, I'll begin uh, reading in verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will f from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for your word that's living and active and, and true and Truthful and Lord, we, we pray that you would use this passage of Scripture to teach us what it looks like to to do good to, to everyone, Lord, to, to serve, to sow to the Spirit as you command. So, Lord, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that, that I do love at, at this time of year is the fact that we're moving into the, the harvest season. Um, and I'm always a, a fan of, I know people like different seasons, but I really like the fall with the Harvest because it brings a lot of great things like pumpkins and and apple picking and fall festivals and all that kind of good thing. Uh, but for most of us, it's it's something that we maybe like, but it's not that big of a deal. But if you're a farmer or maybe even an avid gardener, um, then then fall is an exciting time because it's really it's when you get to to reap the harvest of all of this labor and work that has gone in throughout the year. I mean, just think about a, a farmer that. That he, he goes into the field, sows grain, but, but then there's, there's no return on it immediately. That it, it just it seems as just dirt. That's all, all you see. And then it takes this time of waiting and weeding and, and toiling. And it starts to grow and germinate. And then, uh, then finally, at the end of the year, you know, the harvest season comes and, and you reap all of the, the benefit. And it's really, it's that image of, of sowing and reaping that is basically the controlling metaphor for everything that Paul's talking about in our passage today. Um, and, and so if you look at, at verse 7, he says, Do not be deceived, God is not marked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. So he, he's saying that, that essentially we'll, we mock God if we forget just how 
cause and effect works. <laughs> uh, that if we if we forget the fact that that you you reap what you sow, and just in in terms of agriculture, if somebody sows corn, they're going to reap corn. If they sow wheat, they're going to re reap wheat. If they sow very little, they're going to they're going to reap very little. That there's a there's a connection between these things, right? That's it's common sense. But then look at how, how Paul begins to apply that to, to his readers in verse 8. He says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And so Paul is drawing on these images that he's been developing for a whole chapter now that, that he's been talking about we have these desires of the flesh that that if, if gratified will lead to works of the flesh, these, these things that we, we do that are opposed to God, opposed to his standard, opposed to, to his goodness. And, and so what Paul's saying is that, that if we're sowing to the flesh, that, that our harvest is going to be corruption. That's what's going to, to come out on the other side. But then also, he, he says that if we sow to the Spirit, and this is connected to the fruit of the Spirit, we talked about the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If we, if we sow to the Spirit, he says that our harvest is, is eternal life. That is what is reaped on the other side. So, so you can see these two opposing harvests that, that he's talking about. Uh, you know, sow one kind of seed, you reap corruption. You sow another kind of seed, you reap eternal life. So I think that the big question for us is we begin to think of, of, all right, how does this passage relate to us here today, is how do we actually go about doing this? What does it look like to sow to the Spirit? And really it's that the verses that surround the ones I just read that, that fill this out for us. And we, we see three answers to that, that question. We, that we sow to the Spirit first by doing good to those who teach. Second, doing good without giving up. And then third, doing good to everyone. So it's that theme of doing good, of sowing to the Spirit. So let's begin that. The first, we sow to the Spirit by doing good to those who teach. And this is what we see in, in verse 6. If you look in your Bible, he says, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. And so, so Paul here is he's talking about the fact that somebody in the church who's being taught the word, meaning scripture, meaning the, the gospel, is to, to share what he calls all good things with the one who, who teaches. And and pretty much if you look at commentaries, scholars who look at this across the board, that pretty much everybody takes all good things as being financial, material support for those who are teaching. And, and this is something you know you see throughout the New Testament, throughout the Bible, that the, the pattern in, in Scripture is that when, when a new church was planted, that, that elders would be appointed over those churches. You see that Paul doing that throughout Acts. And as these churches were, were planted and elders were appointed, that, that one or more of the elders essentially is tasked for, for preaching and, and teaching. So even in, in the Presbyterian church, I'm called a, a teaching elder because I'm one of the elders who, who is to teach week in and week out. 
And, and listen to how, how Paul describes this and kind of helps us understand this in, in 1 Timothy 5, verse 17. Even if you want to turn back in your Bible there, um, first, or just forward. Yeah, forward. Uh, 1 Timothy 5, 17, uh, Paul says, uh, let the elder who rules well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So there's exactly what I was saying, that there are elders who are, who are ruling over a church, a group of elders, and that, but then he's talking about some of those are the ones who are doing preaching and teaching. But then it's interesting what, what Paul adds then in the very next verse, in verse 18. He says, For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when he treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. And so he, he's basically drawing on this, this Old Testament teaching about how people should care for their animals, which is kind of funny, actually, if you think about it. Um, and, and so he's saying that, you know, okay, the, the ox, if he's treading the grain, he can eat some of the grain, and you're not going to let the animals um, starve to death, basically. And so then he applies that to, his, to people who are, who are ministering the word, the, to the elders who are laboring and teaching, that the, the laborer deserves his wages. And, and so this is basically kind of the, the argument for why pastors should get paid. Uh, and he says the same thing, actually, in First Corinthians chapter 9. He says that if we, talking about elders, have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much that we reap material things from you? Uh, now, this is the, the, the clear teaching of Scripture, that there are, there are leaders who can have the right to be paid for, for teaching the word. Paul himself didn't take this right. He actually worked as a tent maker, um, earned his, his own living. But but he's, he's laboring to show that this is this is right. That the one who teaches the word should receive all good things from the from the one who is taught. Now, this this teaching of Paul here has a lot of abuses throughout history, um, and and that there's there's been major abuse of this by pastors by teachers in the church. I mean, if you think of the of the Middle Ages and just the way that the church acquired just great wealth, built these cathedrals, and people were living in um, in luxury, and, and largely on the backs of of poor people in the churches who were, were giving so much of their, their hard-earned labors. And that's one reason that the, the Reformation really reacted to the excess of the medieval church. But then, of course, we still see that today. I from, from one source I looked online, the, the televangelist Benny Hinn has a net worth of $42 million. Um, Joel Osteen has a net worth of $40 million. And yeah, so Paul is saying here that the, the one who is taught the word to receive, or sorry, the one who teaches the word to receive all good things from the one who is taught. But there, there's something off when, you know, that's the kind of net worth that, that people are, are are getting that there's this kind of using of the, the laborers of others for, for selfish gain. And I think that, that God is not favorable towards pastors who take that kind of an attitude. But then the, the opposite extreme is, is more of the abuse of congregations against ministers, where sometimes a congregation won't actually support somebody who, who's teaching the, the word, somebody who's you know, the ox who's treading the grain, isn't able to, to eat. Now, this was interesting. Um, and Martin Luther, many of you know, great Protestant reformer, um, he's really famous for his commentary on Galatians. 
great commentary. If you want a commentary on Galatians, get Luther's for sure. Uh, but but he talking about this particular verse, he really acknowledges you know coming out of his time of just the excess of the church. He, he said, yeah, the, the church has made a lot of mistakes here in terms of you know just essentially ministers getting fat on the backs of the of the people. But then listen to what he says. He says, we, we have come to understand why it is so necessary to repeat the admonition of this verse, the command of this verse. When Satan cannot suppress the preaching of the gospel by force, he tries to accomplish this purpose by striking the ministers of the gospel with poverty. He curtails their income to such an extent that they are forced out of the ministry because they cannot live by the gospel. Without ministers to proclaim the word of God, the people go wild like savage beasts. <laughs> and, and Luther, you know, read him, he's always kind of, he's kind of bombastic in the way he writes, so kind of exaggerates. Um, but also, the other uh, great reformer, John Calvin, on the same verse, he says, It is one of the tricks of Satan to defraud the church of, of godly ministers by... Uh, by, or sorry, I misread that. Um, it is one of the tricks of Satan to defraud godly ministers of support that the church may be deprived of such ministers. And, and I think that often this will happen when, when Christians in the, in the church, in a way, don't recognize what goes into this. I mean, our, our uh, pastor intern here, you know, learning Greek and, and Hebrew and, and just the, the time and energy and resources that goes into that. And, you know, he, he's doing that so that he can, you know, faithfully understand and preach and, and apply God's word. Or even just you know, my, my friends who are pastors who teach, you know, that people put in, you know, maybe 10 to 25 hours on, on sermons. And there are, there are many wonderful pastors who then are bivocational. And and I, and I really applaud people who do that and you know, support their families and still ministering for the church. But there is, what, what Paul's saying here is this, the, it, it's, it's a great thing when uh, a pastor and elder is able to invest time and energy to, to shepherding God's flock. And, and so as people value the ministry, that they, they share good things. I mean, that's why he says, share all good things with the one who teaches. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. So then Paul Paul's drawing this, this connection between sowing and reaping, that, that people are sowing resources into what they value so that they get something back. And again, Hopefully you're getting nervous as I say that, because that's all actually another kind of language that people have picked up on, because uh, there's this, this terrible thing called the prosperity gospel of pastors who basically try to manipulate people into giving to the church so that they can get rich from other people. And one of the things that a lot of times prosperity gospel people will talk about if you, if you listen is sowing and reaping, that, that you, you, know, you give, give to my ministry and you're, you're, you're sowing and that you're going to reap prosperity in your own life and that your bank account's going to swell and grow. And that's the kind of message that, that you hear. Now, I mean, God definitely promises that he is going to care for us as we are generous with what we have, that God's going to provide for our basic needs, that God is faithful as we are we're generous, but that's not what Paul is talking about here when he talks about this, the sowing and, and reaping. That, that he's, he's saying that, that if, we're, if we're not investing our money in one place, we're going to invest it somewhere else, and that the, those things actually show what we value 
most. And if you think about just America as a whole, and where it is that we invest our, our resources as a country, when America spends $100 billion on sports every year, $10 billion on pornography, and, and a lot of the ways that we spend money is a type of sewing where we, we sew to our health through gym memberships, organic food. We sew to our children's future through overpriced college tuition and <laughs> all, all sorts of things like that. Or, or people sew to their leisure through technology or through entertainment and all these sorts of things. And we, and we, we put resources into something because we, we care about what is coming out of the other side, and you know, we invest in, in stocks and, and bonds, but don't invest in the, the kingdom of God. And so really, when, when Paul is here, he's saying, share all the things with the one who teaches, the sowing and reaping. How does this work out for us practically? Well, I, mean, I think one of the first really practical ways is, is just the idea of, of tithe. You know, and people always get nervous when ministers talk about, about money, but that, that throughout Scripture is this witness of this idea of caring of supporting your local church. In the, the Old Testament, it was often 10%, and I think some of that wisdom of the Old Testament carries over to the New Testament as well. But also, one way that we, we share all good things with the one who teaches is not just thinking kind of, of our own church, our own congregation, but actually thinking beyond the walls of our church, that there are so many missionaries around the country who, who desperately want to go and proclaim the gospel, but they're, they're waiting to raise support. There are so many church planters who want to go plant churches around the country, but they're, they're waiting for support. And, and so that we also are called to, to care, share all good things with the one who teaches, whether that's campus ministries, whether that's seminaries, whether, you know, those who are working to see the, the gospel go forward. And this is something, talk about reaping the benefit. Like, this is something for, for us here at Hope Church where even now our budget comes primarily through people in other churches who are giving to their own home churches but then care enough about the gospel and about church planting to want to see other churches planted. And it's been such a huge blessing to see the, the generosity uh, of God's people. And that's really something that, that I desire for Hope Church as well, that Lord willing, as, as we become self-supporting someday, um, and you know, continue to, to grow by, by God's grace is you know one people in other churches around the country who are supporting hope now will start supporting other missionaries and other church planters and that more churches will be planted. But then also that you know, as a as a church, our priority won't be oh great now we're, we're self supporting and we can invest all of our resources in ourselves and our own ministries and our own things. Uh, but to really have even the attitude as a as a church that. Yeah, we want to care for the basic needs, but we want to be a church that supports missionaries. We want to be a church that is sending out people to, to plant other churches in our region and around our world. Because we want, as a church, as a whole, as Hope Church, to share all good things with those who teach. And, and to see that kind of sowing, reaping ministry that the Lord is, is calling us to, not just as individuals, but, but corporately together. And so this is the, the first way that, that Paul shows us that we sow to the spirit that we do good to those who teach. But then there, there's a second way that we sow to the spirit by doing good without giving up. Look at verse 9. Paul says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap 
if we do not give up. And so you notice that this command where Paul's saying, don't grow weary in doing good. And it's just kind of a principle when you're reading the Bible that if, if you see a command, it probably means that we're prone to do the opposite. <laughs> or there wouldn't be the, the command. And so I think what, what that's saying is that, that we are people who are prone to grow weary, that we're people who are, are prone to give up in our call to do good. And here are some examples. Uh, you, could, you could think of a, a mother who has a, a Down syndrome child, and, and so she, the, she's waking up uh, with this baby for the fifth time in the night to, to readjust the, the baby's uh, sleeping position. And, and she knows she, she loves her child. She knows this is what she's supposed to be doing. But also there's a sense that most likely she's going to be caring for this child every couple hours for the rest of her life, for the rest of the, the child's life. And so she's growing weary of doing good and, and tempted to give up. Or you could think of, of somebody who is an investment banker in New York City who has been a believer for a long time and had a friend who is not a believer. And, and so she's been sharing the gospel over and over and over again for, for years with this person. But it seems like there's nothing coming of it. There's no response. And so as they're putting together plans to, to get together, She's thinking, well, I'm not even going to bother to bring up the gospel again or to talk about Jesus because it's not doing any good. That she's growing weary and doing good and tempted to, to give up. Or you could think of somebody who is a 46-year-old man who um, has been trying to read through the Bible every year for the last 16 years. And so he, he wakes up early at 6 in the morning to try to read scripture and pray before he heads off to work. Um, but, I mean, he's been doing this for a long time and just hasn't been felt, felt like he's getting a lot from his scripture reading. So he, he opens the, the Bible, begins to read, but then gets distracted and starts thinking about his to-do list for the day. Reads a little bit more, pulls out his, his phone, and, and then checks his email briefly. And then reads a little bit more, but the phone's out, clicks on Netflix app, watches something, gets up to get more coffee. That, that he, he, he's growing weary uh, in, in doing good and, and is tempted to give up. And, I, and I, I've been seeing this, I think, in our own ministry here with, with Hope Church, where God has been, been so faithful, but, but church planning is, of course, really hard and there can be discouragements. And especially, I think, early on when we were for, forming a team and uh, that there was a sense of, okay, putting in a lot of work, a lot of hours, and is anything coming of this? Is God working through this? And so there's the temptation to grow weary in, in doing good, to to want to give up. And actually, it was interesting that, that I came across, that I think God brought me to this actual verse in Galatians. Um, and I, I memorized this this verse and found a lot of encouragement in it. And, and it was really what I was saying is, is okay, God knows that that the posture of my heart is to grow weary in doing good. That God knows that the posture of my heart is to, to want to give up. And so the, the command, let us not grow weary in doing good, was, was helpful. But what is even more helpful is, is the promise. And, and that's really what undergirds it. That he says, do not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. That the, that the farmer has the promise that he'll reap if... He continues to sow. Of course, that's less than certain because he knows what weather will do. 
But for the Christian, there is this, this firm promise that's rooted in the accomplished work of Jesus Christ for us on the cross that, that in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And sometimes, and it's a blessing when we have this, that we actually see the harvest in little ways in our life now. I mean, I've, I've had that with Hope Church of, of launching and seeing new people connecting and people um, joining and, and being able to reap some of the harvest of, of a lot of effort that went in when there was nothing visible or apparent of that, what was happening. But a lot of times in life, we, we labor, we do good, and we don't really see any kind of harvest in this life. And, and God doesn't promise that we're always going to see the harvest in this life. I mean, I know of, of missionaries who work their entire life in culture, you know, pouring their life out, and they see very few converts. And it's not that God isn't, isn't faithful to people who are in that place, and it, but it feels to them like they're, they're just reaping sorrow, that they're not reaping what God actually promises here. But this is why the blessing of the Christian life is, is so great, because our horizon for harvest and for reaping is not primarily this life. Thankfully that we get little tastes of it. But our horizon primarily for harvest is the, the harvest of the, of the age to come. And, and, and even what Paul says in our, our text, that they will reap eternal life, a life that was purchased by the life, death, and resurrection of, of Jesus for us. So, so yes, that the person who, who's caring for their, their child with, with Down syndrome, it, it feels like maybe there's no harvest, or the person who is trying to share the gospel over and over again with a friend, or, or the person who's the missionary not seeing converts, is there anything coming of this? Yeah, they, they have the promise in Christ that they will reap if they do not give up. So that's the, the second way that we, we sow to the Spirit, that we do good without giving up. And let's close just by looking at the, the third and, and final way that we sow to the Spirit by doing good to, to everyone. Look at verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And notice, I mean, just how much Paul says in this, this one verse about, about doing good. But he says to do it as we have opportunity. That we don't always have opportunity to, to do good to every single person in the world simultaneously, I mean, except through prayer, maybe. But that God has given each one of us unique opportunities to, to do good. And, and sometimes we, were, we want more opportunities to do good, which is a great thing to desire. But I, I think also we should be praying, Lord, show me the opportunities for doing good that you have already given me. Because we have, I think, way more opportunity than we actually know. But even as we're looking for opportunities, notice also that Paul says that we should do good to everyone. So he's not saying just people who are, who are like us, that we're called to do good to people who are different, of different races, different cultures, different religions, different ages different genders, different moral, cultural backgrounds that we're, we're called to, to model this love and care for people, for everyone that we come in contact with. But then also, he says not just, just everyone, but then he adds, especially those who are of the household of faith. And talking about the church, the, the church family. And I, and I think one reason that, that he adds that is sometimes we're actually way better for caring for people outside 
that people inside. And that's why people generally fight more with their family members than they fight with their, their friends or, or neighbors. Because it's a lot harder sometimes to love the people who are closest to us. And it's that way for Christians in the church, too, where, where so often we, we want to serve and do good to people in the community around us. But then we don't do that for those who are of the household of faith. And so Paul's saying, no, this is the kind of way that we are to live, that we are to, to sow to the Spirit. And just as we are closing here, though, I mean, we've been talking a lot about, about doing good. We've talked about doing good to those who teach, doing good without giving up, doing good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith. And if, but if you were to take just this verse out of context, you might start to think, well, the way that, we're, that we have the harvest is through our own goodness. The way that we, he says you're going to reap eternal life if you sow to the Spirit. So maybe reaping eternal life is actually something that we get through our own effort and through our own work. And if you read, though, in the light of the whole book of Galatians, as we've been doing, we know that that's not true, that, that none of us can do good as we ought to do it. That none of us serves as good to everyone all the time. You know, we don't always treat others in the household of faith as we ought to treat them. And we, we often are the people who, who want to give up, who want to uh, just go off on our, on our own way. And that's why ultimately we, we come back to the, to the work of, of Jesus Christ for us and, and, and his goodness, that Jesus entered the world 2,000 years ago, took upon himself a, a true human nature, fully God, fully man, and one person. And if you think about just the sowing ministry of good that Jesus did, he, he was always sowing good to everyone, especially those of the household of faith. But it, within his earthly ministry, it seemed like he wasn't reaping the harvest that you would expect for the perfect, eternal Son of God. That the, the harvest that it seemed like he was reaping was, was hatred from other people and, and enmity and strife. And then that what people actually hated him so much that they, they lied about him. They sent him to his death on the cross. And as he breathed his last and was buried in the tomb, you would think that this seed of, of goodness that it is dead in the ground. What good, what harvest can come from this? But then, of course, we know in the, on the resurrection that, that Jesus rose from the dead and, and that what was sown in weakness was raised up in, in glory. And that Jesus, as he rose from the dead in victory over sin, over death, over the, over the devil, sent into heaven, is ruling and reigning at, at the right hand of God. And it is ultimately through his goodness that we have confidence of eternal life, not our own, that we admit that we're, we're not good enough. We trust in him alone for salvation. And we do that. His goodness is counted to us. Our sin is counted to him on the cross. We receive a new identity. But it's, it's from that place of looking at the goodness and mercy of Christ that we actually begin to obey the, the commands of this passage. And that's what we even were saying in our introduction, right? That is what Jesus has done roots what we do. That, but that because of his goodness to us, that our call is to to sow to the spirit, not the flesh. Our, our call is to sow good to those who teach, to sow good to the, to everyone around us, those of the household of faith, to do good with without giving up, knowing that, that the outcome is secure because it is rooted in the promises of God in Christ. And it's, it's that promise that we see symbolized and, and sealed for us here in the Lord's Supper um, so beautifully. Because... We, we see 
the, the, the goodness of Christ, and that, that he, he went to the cross for us, that, that his body died, that his, his blood was, was shed. And, and he did it because we weren't good enough on our own to make it to heaven. But then also, as he, as he gives us this meal, that he uses this to strengthen us in our walk with him. He's not bodily present with us here, but we do have the promise that the Spirit of God is present here to, to strengthen us. And so as, as you are, are walking with Christ, and, and maybe you, you're going through hardships right now, and you're tempted to grow weary and to, to, to give up, and this is a way that, that God strengthens us in, in our journey, that we can continue loving and and serving those around us. But also, this, this meal points us to the horizon. We said that there's a horizon of harvest that's beyond this life. And yeah, we're celebrating this meal here right now, but our, our horizon of harvest is, is lifted to a, another meal that we are going to enjoy together in the future. And that meal is the, the marriage supper of the Lamb, that, that, that God has prepared a meal for us that we will enjoy, and in that day we will be free of, of sin and weakness and all temptation to, to give up. And so we, we long for that day and persevere knowing that we will reap through the promise of Christ.